Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. And to please be in prayer. Uh, if you are a, a prayer warrior, and we have some prayer warriors in the house of God tonight, I would ask you to please, please pray and lift up this building. Lift up the owner of that building. I don't know who she is. Uh, but uh, we don't have a name of this person. But what I can tell you is that uh, she's here. She's a local Virginia Beach resident. She owns the building, uh, and she has the power to, uh, to help us a lot. So please pray. I believe God can speak to a person like that and to do miracles so that this door can be open. Amen. Let's open up our Bibles this evening to uh, Habakkuk chapter 3. Habakkuk chapter one of the Old Testament prophets. Uh, if you have trouble finding Habakkuk, just look for the New Testament and go backwards a few pages. It's a very short book in the Bible, a prophet named Habakkuk, and it's only three chapters. And uh, we're going to look tonight into the Word of God. It's no accident tonight that this is, uh, again, uh, a message that has come directly from our Bible reading program. And so I want to just put another word of encouragement uh, that you can join us in our Bible reading program. Uh, God speaks when we will be faithful to just read a little bit every day. And this is a great Bible reading plan. Uh, If you stick to it, then you'll get through the Old Testament once and the New Testament twice throughout the whole year. Uh, And we will be starting that again fresh on January 1st. So, But it's not too late to join today. Uh, you can uh, see me after the service if you well, want to want more information about that. Amen. Tonight, um, I want to I want to take a few minutes from Habakkuk chapter three to encourage you. I read about an African impala. I sent out a picture on the text message system earlier today. Maybe you saw that picture. An African impala is a unique creature. It has the ability to jump over 10 feet high and also can cover a distance of 30 feet with one bound. They are incredibly skilled at jumping and at leaping over obstacles. But something interesting about this creature is that if you were to put it into an enclosure... All you would have to do is build a wall that is three feet high. That's one yard. If you put that impala into an enclosure and you only built the walls three feet high, you want to know something surprising? That impala will not jump over the walls. All you would have to do is build a small wall, and that is enough to keep an impala 
bound in its cage. And the reason is this, that the animal will not jump if they cannot see where their feet are going to land. Let me say that again tonight. The impala will not jump when they cannot see where their feet will fall. And when I read about that tonight, I thought, I know a few people in the house of God who claim to be believers, who claim to be people of faith, but when it comes time to jump over the wall, we say, I can't see, Pastor, I can't see where my feet are going to land. And like that impala, we live lives that are bound and constricted in a tight spot. I want to tell you tonight that we are called to be people of faith. That was a great place to say amen. We are called to be people of faith. And that means sometimes living for God is going to require that you and I jump when we can't see where we're going to land. You and I be able to step out of the boat when Jesus begins to call from the waves. I believe tonight that God calls us outside of these flimsy enclosures of life that fear keeps us bound within, that the enemy constructs little three-foot walls around us because he knows, oh, they're not really going to believe. Or maybe we build our own enclosures tonight because we're fearful and afraid of what might happen if we leap out beyond what we understand. Because we can't have a vision for what God can do. In the scripture we're about to read tonight, we're going to find the prophet Habakkuk. And the context is that God is speaking through this man to the nation of Israel. And he's telling them that there's a lot of bad things that's going to take place. There's going to be an army that rises up and overtakes the land. And it's his job to deliver this message of woe and danger. And he can't see a way out of it. He can't see an end. But in our scripture, at the very last verses of his word to the, to the Israelites, he makes up his mind... He's going to believe God. And I want to challenge you tonight to be a same spirit. And no matter what the circumstances look like, no matter what life may present to you tonight, that we can be a people to leap over the three-foot walls. We can be people who jump even when we don't see where our feet will land. Let's read together Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17. I want you to think of this with me for just a few moments tonight. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Sounds like a pretty bad day. Look at 18. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. 
And he will make my feet like deer's feet. And he will make me walk on my high hills. Let's pray for just a moment. Father, we come by the blood of Jesus once again. I'm asking that you pour out your spirit on this people. God, make us once again a people of simple and powerful faith. God, the faith to believe you for great things. The faith to see beyond present situations and circumstances. God, to believe you even in hard times. And I'm praying tonight, give us the faith to jump even when we can't see where we're going to land. Speak to us tonight in Jesus' name. God's people would say, Amen. I want to begin with the question. The question that stops so much of the people of God. The question that stops so many of God's plans. And the question is a single word with a question mark at the end. You know what, it, what question it is? It's the question, why? Why? We look at things that we go through in people, and we look at situations and bad things that happen, and the question that we always ask is why? Now, this comes from a good place many times. We want to understand life. We want to understand bad things when they occur. We want to understand when good things happen to other people, but they don't happen to us. Hello? We want to understand those things, and so when bad circumstances hit us, we can ask that question, why? But I want to tell you, if you find yourself asking over and over again, God, why me? God, why my family? God, why my children? God, why my church? Why am I going through this? If you find yourself in the spin cycle of why, I want to tell you what's going to happen. You will be paralyzed. You'll be paralyzed. And do you know how I know that? Because God never guaranteed to give us all the reasons why. You remember the story of Job. Job, the great man that, that uh, had incredible integrity. The great man who God defended. And the man who had everything together. He was wealthy. He had prominence. He was a, a great man in the earth. And God defended him. One day the devil came to accuse Job in front of God. And the accusation was, Oh God, the only reason that Job loves you and serves you and cares about you is because of how much you've given him, how much blessing he has. And he, he accused Job and said, take away all that he has and he'll curse you to your face, God. You know, the problem with that story is Job didn't know any of that that took place. He couldn't see into heaven. He couldn't know the mind of God. He couldn't know the strategy of hell. All Job was doing was living his life. And one day, when this accusation came before God, God said, okay, Satan, I will allow you to take everything away from Job because I believe he's a man of integrity. God stu stood up for Job. Can you imagine that? But then what happens is the, the enemy is loosed against Job's life, and in a very short amount of time, he loses so much of his blessing. He loses his wealth, his business. He loses his home, right? 
He loses even his children. Can you imagine? In a short amount of time, here's Job just minding his own business and trying to do right. And everything is lost. What would it be like for you if you lost your house and your money and your children? And not only that, but then God... God allows Satan to go the extra step. He says, God, I believe that if you let me touch Job's body and cause him to be covered in sickness and illness, for sure he'll curse you to your face. And God said, we'll see about that. So Satan again was loosed to release uh, uh, illness on Job's body. And that's proof right there that not all illness is just physical. Sometimes there are spiritual diseases that can afflict the people of God and and the people of the world. And so Satan releases this illness on Job's body and he's covered in boils and his skin is breaking out and he's got pain and he's lost everything. You talk about a bad day. None of you have had that bad of a day. None of you have experienced that kind of pain and anguish. And if you read the book of Job, there are some 40 chapters of Job trying to figure this out, right? Job having a discussion with his friends who try to come in and and make things worse, man. You read it and the, the back and forth that they have. And through it all, Job is maintaining, no, I promise I haven't done any wickedness. I haven't done wrong. And through it all, God even stood up for Job and said he didn't sin with his mouth. But 40 chapters, there he is, saying, God, why? You know what's interesting about that book? God never answered his question. God never came in and said, well, Job, the reason, you know, that uh, that you lost everything, the reason that you got sick, and the reason that your friends came and called you a sinner and accused you, well, it's because I allowed Satan to do this to you. (laughs) He never got that explanation, did he? At the end of the book, the Bible says God came down in a whirlwind, in a tornado to answer Job's question. And you think for a second, wow, I'm going to get the answers to all my questions. And then for the next three chapters, God... Turns it around on Job, you remember? And he says, who is this who darkens the council? Who is this? Job, where were you when I created the foundations of the earth? Job, were you there when I built up the storehouse of snow? Job, were you there? Job, do you understand? And God turns it around on Job and asks him about 250 questions. But throughout all of that time, Job never got an answer to the question, why? Are you with me tonight? If you find yourself tonight in the spin cycle of why for 39 chapters like Job, I want to tell you, you'll be paralyzed. Finally, Job got what God was trying to say to him, and it was this. Job, you can trust me. You can believe me. I know what I'm doing, Job, because I was there at the foundation of the earth. I was the one who stored up the snow in heaven to release it on the earth. I was the one who created Leviathan 
and behemoth. I was the one who did all these things, Job, and all that Job can say is, I repent in dust and ashes. Right? And at the end of the day, he never got the answer to the question, why? But he was satisfied, wasn't he? And I want to tell you, that is true in your life. You are not going to get the answer to every why. You are not. People come into my office sometimes and say, Pastor, why is this happening to me? And I don't know what to say. Because there's still things that happen in my life. I don't know the reason why. But God does. And we must be people who are resolved, who like Job, believe him. God, I believe you. Jacob. The Bible says about Jacob that he wrestled and struggled all night with God. And at the end of his struggles, God gave him a new name. Do you know what that name was? It was Israel. Now that can be translated prince with God. But I like another translation. It is one who has struggled with God and has overcome. This Christian life was never meant to be some phony, baloney, plastic, smile on your face all the time. It is, we are called to struggle with God. Struggle with Him through the night. Like an angel who came down and struggled with Jacob all night. And Jacob said, I'll not let you go until you bless me. I'll not let you go. Because Jacob, like Job, trusted that God was a, was a God of his word. That he would be faithful and true to his promise. And that name, Israel, is a little picture of what it's like to live for God. Everybody still with me tonight? One who struggles with God and overcomes. We must be the people of faith who are willing to struggle with God through the hard times. Through the difficulties, on the climb up the mountain. God never called us to avoid the difficult things. Somebody's going to lose their phone tonight. This whole life of faith is wrapped up in that name, Israel, one who struggles with God and overcomes. So let's look then at the desire to comprehend. In our scripture, Habakkuk is coming to a conclusion. He's coming to the conclusion that after all of these woes that he has pronounced on Israel, all of all of these difficult things that are going to happen that he's having to pronounce to the people, there is a desire that he has to understand, just like we all have. When the fig doesn't blossom. You remember that story? Jesus walked by the fig tree one day, and, uh, and he looked at it and the Bible's so amazing because it says in there that it was not the season for fruit to appear on the tree. And you're like, yeah, I mean, that's, that's normal. There's, it's not the time of year that figs come, come out. But Jesus, it said that Jesus was hungry and he wanted to eat a fig. And because he didn't find figs on the tree, he cursed it. Right? Our scripture said in Habakkuk, when we find a tree, it's, it's supposed to bear fruit, but there's no fruit. And we look at that and we say, why, God? Why isn't 
my life bearing the fruit that it's supposed to? God, why aren't I fruitful? He said there's no fruit on the vine. The vine should naturally produce fruit. When we went to Romania a few weeks ago, we visited a little farm, and we found some real grapevines with some real grapes for wine on it. it was, they were so delicious because it was the time for the vine to produce a fruit. But if you are one of those farmers and you've got vines and you're, you're, you're praying and you're, you're believing God that the fruit that comes out of those vines is going to pay for your family for the next season, for the next year. And then you go out to the vine and you see nothing has grown. It's disappointing, isn't it? It's hard to handle. You're expecting the raise and somebody else gets it. You're expecting the blessing and it doesn't show up. He goes on and he describes how the fields are empty. After laboring, after preparing the field, after planting the seed, watering, after pulling the weeds, and the fields turn up empty. Have you ever felt like that? When you go on outreach and we pass out 500 flyers and nobody comes to church. I remember so, so clearly one time we were in Bulgaria there pioneering a church, believing God. We were, <laughs> we were crazy. And we printed up 4,000 flyers. And it was me and Taya and one other person, Anelia. And in the course of about a week, we all together passed out 4,000 flyers. That was a whole lot of work. And right there on the flyer, you know what it said? It said, Ochak vai chudo, which means expect a miracle. And that's what we were doing. We were expecting a miracle with every flyer. We're praying over it. God, bring this person to the church. For a whole week, every day, we're out on the street passing out these flyers, believing God, expect a miracle. Pastor Mitika Duragic came to do a revival for us. And in five days of revival, guess how many visitors came? Zero. Goose egg, man. The fields were empty. And we're tempted in that time to say, God, we believed you. God, we trusted you. And you let us down. The fields are empty. The flock was lost. The animals no longer in their stalls. And if we're not careful, our mind and our heart can be consumed by that dangerous question, why? What did I do wrong? Am I not worthy, God? Maybe I'm not even saved. God, I missed you somewhere along the way. I want to tell you tonight, you're not going to be able to put everything together. Life is not some jigsaw puzzle that on the last day you put the last piece and you get the final picture. Someday we'll get the final picture, but it's in, it's in eternity, man. It's down the road. God never told us that he would give us all of our whys. He never told us that we would comprehend all things. But I do want to encourage you tonight. Even though we may not comprehend, 
God has called us to be confident. Everybody say the word confident. confident. To be confident in our faith. To be confident in our trust in Lord, in the Lord. And tonight, that's why the title of this message is Confidence Before Comprehension. That we are called to believe God before we understand everything that's going to happen. We are called to jump over the wall even when we can't see where we're going to land. We are called to step out of the boat when Jesus calls even though we don't understand how someone can walk on water. I don't understand the physics of that. I don't understand how gravity wasn't pulling them down. But I do understand that Peter's confidence was rewarded by Jesus. That's why Habakkuk looks at this situation in Israel. He looks at the situation that he has proclaimed to the people of God. And he sees that bad things are happening. That woes and judgments are taking place. That enemy armies are coming to march through their city. But he says, even when all this is happening, you know what? I still trust you, God. I will still be faithful to you. I will still worship you. I will still proclaim your name, even when I don't understand how it's all happening. Confidence, even when it looks bad. There's a song out there on Christian radio by Sanctus Real called Confidence. It says, give me faith like Daniel in the lion's den. Give me hope like Moses in the wilderness. Give me a heart like David. Be my defense so I can face my giants with confidence. Do you have confidence tonight? Do you have confidence even when you can't comprehend everything that's happening? Because faith tonight, faith is what sees beyond our present circumstances. This is what we see in Habakkuk's word, starting in verse 18. He says, yet. Everybody say the word yet. Yet. It coincides with that word that Jesus used in the garden. He said, nevertheless. He said to God that, oh, if there'd be any way that this cup could pass from me, Lord, I don't want to experience the pain and the agony of the cross, right? But then he says that beautiful word, nevertheless. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Somewhere in your life, there's got to be a yet. Somewhere in your confidence, in your faith, there's got to be a nevertheless. Even if I'm not delivered, even if, like those, like those three Jewish boys, even if God delivers them into the fire, we'll still believe. We will still not bow down to that idol. Even if we die in the fire, yet I will serve you. Nevertheless, I will believe you. And that's the word that pivots all of our hearts tonight. Yet, listen, he says, I will rejoice in the Lord. He says, I'm not going to get bummed out by this. I'm not going uh, to get down in the dumps. I'm still going to rejoice. Can you still rejoice tonight? I love the next phrase. He says, I will joy. When I read that, I thought to myself, joy is not a verb. Joy is a noun. 
But in that scripture, he says, I will joy. Joy is an action. I will joy in the God of my salvation. He's taking it right back to the beginning. To where it started between Habakkuk and God. He says, I remember, God, how you saved me. I remember that even if you did nothing else for me, God, that I am on my way to heaven. That I have all that I need, God. And even if I have to suffer, even if there's, there's going to be things I don't understand, God, I'll still rejoice. I will joy. Because you're the God of my salvation. 19, he says, the Lord God is my strength. That is so helpful tonight when you feel like you've got nothing left. When you feel like you can't deal with it anymore. When you lose all of your strength, that is where God will pick up the slack. It is through our weakness, Paul says, that God shows himself strong. In the face of all of these challenges, Habakkuk chooses to believe, yet I will rejoice. This is, a, this, is a, this is the ability of you and I to set our will. You know, God gave you a will. He gave you the ability to make a decision tonight. To say, this is what I will do. I don't understand everything that's happening, but I will still rejoice. I don't understand why the Lord would allow sickness and illness in little children, little babies. I don't understand all of the ins and outs. Yet, I will rejoice. Even when it doesn't make sense, even when I can't figure it out, even when I can't comprehend, Lord, I will be confident that you know what you're doing. I choose to believe. Faith can see beyond the present difficulty. Faith can still leap even when the walls cover our certain outcomes. I want to give you tonight seven reasons why we must be people of great faith. Faith tonight is what distinguishes you from the rest of the sinful world. You know, in the New Testament, before they called us Christians, do you know what they called us? Believers. We were called believers, and we were called disciples. Long before they ever were marked with the name Christians, we were called believers. Are you a believer tonight? You are defined by your faith. Second reason is that exercising faith is our highest duty to God. John 6, 29, Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God that you believe in Him whom He sent. This is the work of God that you believe in Him who He sent. It's the greatest activity that we can do. We are defined by our faith. The third reason tonight is because the opposite of faith, unbelief, is the greatest evil in the world. Listen carefully tonight. Unbelief and doubt is the greatest sin that you could ever commit. How do you know that, Pastor? Because that is the only sin that God will not forgive. That Jesus didn't pay for on the cross. John 3, 18. He who believes in Him is not condemned, 
But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. You know why people go to hell? Because they don't believe. Because they will not trust God. They will not show confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. But God did not create us for unbelief. He created you and I to be believers. Number four, the Christian life is one that can only be lived through faith. The Bible repeats this phrase again and again and again. The just shall live by what? Faith. When God wanted to teach the human race about how he would interact with human beings, he taught through the life of Abraham. Before he was called Abraham, he was called Abram. And God called Abram out of the Ur of the Chaldeans. He called him even though he didn't know where he was going. Sounds like a deer jumping over a fence before he knew where he would land. And God said to Abram, step out, leave your family behind, leave your fortunes behind, and go out to a place that I will call you to. Because the just will live by faith. Four times in the Bible it's repeated over and over. In Romans, in Galatians, in Hebrews, the just shall live by faith. If God has made you just, if God has clothed you in His righteousness because of the cross, then that means we ought to be people of faith. Number five, any success, any progress that you make in the Christian life is a measure of your faith. Don't tell me how much faith you have if you're not making any progress for God. Matthew 9.29, when Jesus touched their eyes... He said, according to your faith, let it be unto you. You know, that's still true. According to your faith, let it be unto you. If your faith is weak, sick, then your Christian life will be weak and sick. But if your faith is strong tonight, if your faith is filled with vibrance and zeal, your Christian life will be filled with vibrance and zeal and passion for God. Number six, faith more than anything else is what pleases God. If we are children of God the Father, I don't know about you, but one of the, one of the greatest desires of my life is to please my Father in heaven. I don't want to make Him upset. I don't want to be a thorn in the sight of God. You know what I'm saying? I don't want, you, you know what it's like if you have a teenager in the house, especially teenage boys who don't smell all of their smells? No offense, Alon. Sometimes uh, teenage boys and, and, and some grown-up men, they can't smell their own smells. You know what I'm saying? You walk by the room and it's like, oh, something funky in there. Oh, jeez, help that man. I don't want to be like that with God. That God walks by my life and he goes, oh, somebody needs to clean out that closet. Somebody, I don't want to be the stench in the nostrils of God. I want to be a pleasing aroma to my father. I want God to be excited when he thinks about me. 
How is it tonight that we can please God? I wish the Bible had some kind of scripture that told us how to please God. Oh, there is one. Hebrews 11, verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. And that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Are you pleasing to the Father tonight? Faith is what pleases him. A simple, childlike faith. And finally tonight, the reason faith is so critical to our lives is because it's the only way to overcome the world. It's the only way. 1 John 5, verse 4 says, Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. What? Our faith. Tonight, I want to challenge you, before you understand it all, before you see the end of the story, we must be people of confidence. God, I believe that you know what you're doing. See, this is why we can pursue a building before we have all the money in place. This is why I can deal with a property manager, because I believe God. Do I know how $50,000 down payment is going to show up? I have no idea. I barely know how we're going to pay the rent next month. But God is on time every single month. I don't know how that a church of our size can pull off a missions trip every year. I don't know. Got me. I can't figure it out. And yet every year, every year, I don't comprehend it, but I'm confident. That even before I understand, even before I get the answer to every question, we must be people of confidence. Because this is pleasing to the Lord. This is why tonight we give our tithe, right? Even before we see how it's all going to work out with the finances and the budget. God, I'm going to give my tithe and I'm going to give the first tenth. Not the little scraps at the end of the month. This is why we practice the Sabbath day and we come to church and we say, I'm not going to work on Sunday because it's the Lord's day and I'm going to be in the house of God and I'm going to set a good example. Because we're confident that God can cover the needs even when we're away. This pleases God tonight. I want to ask you, are you pleasing to the Lord? This is why God calls us to live lives of holiness. Even though our flesh cries out, our flesh is tempted on a daily basis. But the reason we resist temptation tonight, the reason God calls us to holiness, is because, God, I'm confident that you will reward me in the secret place. You're going to reward me with your spirit and with your presence in my life. I want to close with this illustration tonight. Everybody here knows what it's like to ride in an elevator, right? And when you come to an elevator, you're standing on the ground floor. Maybe go to the the Westin Hotel there in town center. I think that thing is like 30 floors, maybe more. But if you stand on the ground floor, you push the button. And with confidence, you believe 
that in a few moments that elevator will arrive. And what do you know? In just a few moments, the door opens and the elevator is open to us. And now you are presented with a vehicle that you have to believe you're going to step into that thing and you're not going to die. So you step into an elevator and you are confident that it's going to carry you up to the top floor. So when you put your faith in that elevator, there is a certain amount of personal trust, isn't it? You step into the elevator, you simply believe, and it does the rest. Some smart person, some smart engineer, some smart person who made the blueprints, they've already put all the hard work into that elevator, and all you do is push the number 30. Boop! And up it goes. And you come out, you didn't have to climb, you didn't have to sweat, you didn't have to breathe heavy. All you have to do is push the button and go up to the top. Listen carefully tonight. Your faith in the elevator does not empower the elevator. It simply trusts in the power to take you where you need to go. The same is true with Jesus. Faith is when we simply step into the power of God. We step into Christ. We step into His presence And he is the one who's done all the heavy lifting, hasn't he? He is the one who went to the cross and gave his body and gave his blood. He is the one who says that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, that he's got all the gold, he's got all the silver, he's got all the resources we could ever need, he's got all the the healing power that we need to overcome sicknesses, he's got all of the Holy Spirit that we need. All we got to do is activate by faith. And you push that button and you enter into Christ. And he will raise you up to a new level tonight. We're entering into a time of revival. Revival with Richard Graham. And I want to I I just share with you tonight that if something good is going to happen in these revival services, if it's going to be more than just some extra services on the calendar, the reason for that is because somebody here is going to activate faith. And faith is more than just this theory that's floating around in your brain. Faith is activated when you make decisions. You make a decision to give. You make a decision to to outreach, to, to witness to your friend, your neighbor. You make a decision to activate that faith and you push that button, boop, and miracles are possible. I believe that God wants to take us to the top floor. But there's got to be some people here tonight who will believe him. (laughs) I know people who are afraid of elevators. Too scary in there. I'd rather climb 30 floors. I'd rather sweat and labor and work hard. Okay, I'll meet you on the top floor. I want to challenge you tonight. Let's step into the power of God, into the destiny of God, into the purpose of God tonight through faith. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. With Habakkuk, we're going to make a decision this evening. We're going to acknowledge, yes, there are bad and difficult and difficult things to deal with in this life. 
Yes, there's financial pressure. Yes, there's, there's temptation. There's all manner of things that we have to deal with in this life. But Habakkuk makes up his mind in our scripture and he says, Yet I will rejoice. I will still smile. I will joy in the God of my salvation. We thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? Make sure to sign up at our website, vvph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? Please visit our website, vvph.org, and scroll down to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God and love people. Oh